Thanks for joining us again. We are coming to you from the Financial Planning Association Conference in Sydney. Uh, I'm joined by Danny. Thank you for joining hey, me, Danny. Hey, Fraser. We're here again. Wonderful to have you. With a lovely new guest. Co-hosting. Beautiful new guest that's going to talk about their session today. Welcome. Thank you, Kat. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Kat has said it's either Catherine or Kat, so that's you've got to stick to those names, I'll, I'll Fraser. I'll that up for yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> I'll that up. So, you've got a really interesting session, and we'll get to that uh, shortly, Catherine. We'd love to first just know about your journey, how you became an advisor, what your business looks like. I did some um, stalking, I'm going to call it, earlier oh. around, and you have a lot of, um, yeah, you've got some great credentials, especially in women in advice. It would be great to hear what your journey has been very quickly, and then how you got to speak at the FPA and what that session is about. Sure. Um, So I did a degree in marketing and worked in marketing for three years and really loved it until I didn't. And then because when I graduated, which was, gosh, what, 2002, it was really hard to get a job in marketing. When I decided I didn't love it anymore, I thought, how am I going to get another job? And a family friend worked in stockbroking and he had been badgering me to come and work with him for ages and so I thought oh you know what I'm going to give it a crack and so 2003 I started in stockbroking I loved it so much fun so much fun for the brokers not so much fun for the clients so I was there through the GFC saw a lot of wealth destruction and sort of decided this is not my career I I really enjoy the finance side of things but I don't think I can be a stockbroker And then um, started looking around, a friend um, introduced me to Capital Partners and so I thought financial planning, massively dirty word in stockbroking but let's give it a crack Mm. and for the first three months I hated it and then I loved it and I've been very happy for eight years ever since. Fantastic. And your session today is ethically releasing a client. That's a really interesting conversation and and it's about... When do you know that the relationship probably needs to come to an end? And if you could give us some insight into how you got, um, yeah, how you got involved in such a topic, has has this been an experience that's come up for you in your business? And Uh, it has, it definitely has, and we'll talk a little bit about some of those examples. It's certainly not something that happens really often, but you know, we go through a lot with our clients, and it's really important to have a really good and engaged relationship with them and sometimes things just come up that mean that you can't uh, you can't efficiently and actively service them anymore and we've sort of narrowed that down to three little categories which is your chaotic client who just you know doesn't get back to you they um, don't uh, they don't respond when you need things they say they're going to come to a meeting and they don't show up and you just get to a point where you know you can't efficiently service them anymore there's also um, people who just don't take your advice and I've had that experience with a client who I loved but really he was just going rogue and you get to a point where you think they're doing things that are destructive for their wealth and can you actively be their advisor anymore and then the last sort of client that we'll talk about is when it, it comes a point where they don't really have enough going on to justify your fee anymore. And so how do you actually make sure that you have the right conversation with them and that you leave them in a good position? You don't just say, sorry, we're not taking your money anymore, see you later. Yeah. And and what would be your, your, can you kind of, that's a pretty uh, multifaceted probably approach, but what, what would you say are the things that you've embedded into that process of releasing that client in an ethical way? 
So I guess it depends on on sort of who it is, but there is so much stuff that you can do to make sure that they're left in a good position. And it might be, you know, if they're going to another advisor, it might be the really seamless handover of any advice documents or anything that the other advisor requires. But it's also, if they're going to go it alone, then make sure they've got the right support around them. So for example, um, they're running a self-managed super fund, make sure they don't just have an, well, try and set them up with an accountant who's not just going to do the compliance work and not help them with some of the more strategic stuff. So make sure that they're with other advisors who can really engage with what they need. Um, and, and then for a client that you think is probably no longer going to be advised anymore is do you need to write them one last statement of advice which is kind of almost the, the set and forget type of plan. So w- what are the things that you need to do to just make sure that that relationship ends really well? Yeah, I want to ask this question because it's my assumption is that a lot of uh, clients we go, oh, look, I'm really sorry I was when you have that, when you breach that conversation, you say, "Look, you're just a bit too chaotic for us, or you're not following our advice, and so we we need more structure out of you." That they go, "Oh no, no, please give me a second chance." Is that is that happening? Yeah, for sure, stuff like that does happen, um, and I think it's about really honest conversations and holding each other both to account. So um, we've certainly had the scenario whereby someone is a bit chaotic, and when you sit down and have the discussion with them it's because the relationship's not working for them or it's not quite what they wanted or maybe thought it would be. And then it's just a a meeting of minds and you both agree that this is not the way forward. Um, But there has been times, yes, when you sort of have to have an honest conversation with a client and say, not getting back to me, we're meaning to do this, that and the other. And if... Um, if you sort of, and I wouldn't use these words, but if you can't come to the party, then do you really do you really want to be paying me? And and sometimes you know they're going to pull up their socks and go, you know what, I am paying you a lot of money, and I do want to have a good relationship, and so I'm going to make it a priority to get back to you. Yeah, and I'm also thinking that there might be a fear out there amongst advisors going, they don't want the bad review or the the rejection. They're like somebody feels like they're being rejected so that they lash out at the, the advice and the firm and the brand. Oh, absolutely. And that's why it's so important to leave every interaction with like a, a positive um, – a taste in your mouth is not the right thing but you know for it to be a positive ending of the relationship because just because things didn't work out with you and that person it doesn't mean that you can't help their friend or someone else and we do get referrals and you know not to um not to more often than you would think from people who have been clients in the past and they're not anymore because they don't need us for whatever reason, but they say, you know what, if you need someone, these are the people that you need to speak to. So it's so important. You just don't know what's around the corner. You don't know. You just want to make sure always that you're um, leaving a positive influence on people's lives. Catherine, yeah. there's a really um, question that always comes up in XY and it taps into what you're speaking about here is around when a partnership is no longer a partnership and there's a divorce that occurs... That's quite a critical relationship point. Yeah. What do you do in, in that scenario? Like which partner do you decide to, to manage and how do you let the partner that you have, you know, opted out of, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of extract yourself from that relationship? Because we get asked that question all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. yeah. So that, that is absolutely something we've talked so much about, particularly with the introduction of the Code of Ethics. Um, 
so actually I work a lot with divorced women. That's sort of the specialty area that I have, but mostly they come to us when the relationship's already broken down. Thankfully, we haven't had too many clients divorce, um, but what we've come to in our business is often at the start, because they've been having um, conversations about money, it does start off very amicably. And so when someone comes to us, if they come to us together and say we're splitting up, then we can be quite clear that we can continue to do like to manage the assets that we're managing, for example, as long as you both agree to everything and we will not have a conversation without another the other in the room. So you always have to come to meetings together. All communication is going to be CC'd to both of you. And we've got a list of almost terms and conditions if they want us to continue with both of them because often that's what they okay, ask for. And if they're happy to sign off on that, then we will continue. And generally speaking, it's not any strategic stuff. It's more just managing the status quo until they've made a decision. But we're also very clear, if you if you don't want that, that's absolutely fine. Let us know and we can find one or both of you another advisor. And we sort of put the ball in their court to make that decision. And so far, it's been... It's not been a difficult one. People have come to us and sort of been clear about it's going to be this person that retains you. Um, I Look, I don't imagine that's always the case. So we just try to be as honest and open with the couple as possible to be really clear about what we can do and what we can't do. And then if that's what they're happy to sign up for, it's also very clear as soon as they're not happy to sign up for that, let us know because then we will make a move. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you've got these processes in place to be able to... to, to to open yourself up to these conversations. Um, I think it's going to happen a lot more and more in, in yeah. the future and as, as advisors realise what their obligations are more and more and, and, and even when there's an uplift in you know, fees that aren't appropriate for that client, I think that conversation is going to be uh, prevalent within advice firms. Yes, absolutely. I have another question actually as a follow-on to that question. Given you said divorced women are your specialty, what is the things that you do amongst all the... I guess, moving parts that you've got to help put into a little bit more of a a structured process map for someone going through a divorce. What are the things that um, you think your clients find hyper valuable and what are the things that you, you know, your journey into this specialty and now you're going, you know what, out of all these things you could do for a person in that particular situation, what adds the most value or what's most treasured at that point? So, I tend to find that I will get referred women who have not been the financial decision maker. So it's them taking the reins for the first time. We sort of call it from crisis to confidence. And so what where we add value is you would be so surprised about the people who might have really large chunky sums of money in the bank who will call me and say, I don't know if I can afford to get someone to clean the pool and I don't know how to do it myself. So what we give them is somewhat the permission but perhaps the information that they can spend money and still be okay Mm -hmm. and the things that they need to do to make sure that that money will last them throughout you know the rest of their life which might be 40 or 50 years whenever when women first come into me I often find they don't know about the moving parts they don't understand that there's a family trust they don't want superannuation because they can't access it and what I always say to them is However you're feeling now, I can almost guarantee in three years you're going to understand this, you're going to be confident and you're going to be coming in and telling me what you want. And it always happens. It's just the confidence, like the best part for me is seeing that confidence grow. 
Well, I think that's a really amazing takeaway to set that uh, ambition up in their minds as something that they will achieve and then they just head towards that. I really love that idea. Give them some direction. Yeah, it's the best. Honestly, it's the like, that's why we do what we do, right? It's the best. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us, Fireside Chat today. We know you've got a busy schedule today, so really appreciate your time. Thanks, You're Catherine. welcome. Thank you so much.